Barney and Friends. Barney Simon. Decker and FM. If I even wanted to do this because I was doing, I had other motivations all of a sudden. And then uh, when we finally figured out it was a good idea to pursue it, we, uh, the English record company we were signed to with the second record shopped it overseas to the US. And there was a band already called Tree there in Boston. And they were a punk band. And they, uh, they, we said, well, we want to be Tree and we want to get Tree.com, the domain. And we, we approached these, this band. Can we use this name? Can we pay you maybe for the rights to the name? Because that's how Americans work, right? And they said, no, it was too late. They already had Tree tattooed on their arms. And they were like, <laughs> all their website pictures were this. And it was like, <laughs> too late, pal. So um, the Tree 63 CD, if you turn it on the spine, you see uh, it says Tree 63. It looked like one word. So... The record company at the time said, well, why don't you just call it Tree 63? And uh, okay. And to this day, it's, it's always a bit of a sore point for me because we, we really are just tree. Mm-hmm. That's more of a something that came later. But uh, it's okay. It's part of our identity. It's good. And also when overseas, when, when uh, record, uh, radio stations interviewed you and stuff like that, they, they well, where does the 63 come from, yeah. right? So, you yeah, know. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's a talking point. You know? But at the time, Blink-182 had to come out. Yeah. And there was another band, uh, some 41, and suddenly all these bands had numbers. And we felt like, oh, it oh, looks like no. we jumped on the bandwagon. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Okay, so uh, what happened then? <clears throat> you got the call from the States. I mean, uh, do you remember uh, when, when the call came? And guys, you're going to have to pack your bags. Yeah. Was it Nashville? You had to go to Nashville? Yeah. Or was it Canada? No, Nashville. Okay, so Nashville, yeah. Tennessee. Yeah. Uh, yeah. How did that, who organized that for you? How did that happen? Well, like I said, we were signed to a, a UK Christian label. And uh, they had relationships with the U.S. guys. And so they just shopped us across as part of a deal. And the U.S. guys uh, t- took some time. We found the right partners. Eventually they said, okay, well, we'd like you to come over and talk to you. And, and the guy actually flew out to Durban and Swaz play and he was really pursuing us. Yeah. But when the, the moment where it suddenly hit me that we're actually going to go to America, and like, I'm, I'm at, at heart I'm still a Dur- little guy from Durban. That's really who I still am. You know? I just want to know, Shark supporter? Absolutely. Okay, carry come on. on. Um, the thought of getting on a plane and going to America, it was, it was this massive thing to get to think this can actually happen to me. I mean, I've done it so many times now, it's weird. But at the time, I still remember how, how it felt. This is, can this really happen? Can I go to America? You know, this big idea of what America was. And it happened, and here we are. <laughs> so did they set up everything? Did you stay in a house together? Did you record there? How did it work, the infrastructure? What happened was the American label, we had two albums out, and they, what they wanted to do was introduce us to America, the way they did with Depeche Mode. Depeche Mode had five albums out before they really got across to, Ameri- to Americans with the Black Celebration record and, and uh, Music for the Masses. So with us, they, had, they, they tried to compile the best of the two records, and they wanted us to go over to the States and re-record some of the ones that didn't sound so good. You have to be able to Americanize them a little bit because it sounded too European for them. Mm. <laughs> And uh, we spent a week in this house in uh, down south of Nashville. It was beautiful. Summer. It was summer in America. First time in America. It was it was very very special time, you know. And we recorded every day and walked around these American streets and bought American stuff, and it was amazing. <laughs> Hamburgers and <Yeah>. donuts, <laughs> a hot dog. Sorry, ketchup. Was, yeah, exactly. And uh, who was the producer then? Did they did, uh, did they use an American producer? No, uh, guy. There's fairly, in fact, a very well-known uh, CCM Christian contemporary pop rock band who were actually Australian, <laughs> and uh, they called the Newsboys, and they were huge in America then, and they're, they're even bigger now. And 
that it was it was them who had kind of got us involved. It was their thing to get us to get foreign bands from Australia, New Zealand, South Africa into America. Mm. And their lead singer owned the label, and he produced us. Um, but to some degree, Tree's always been self-produced. Mm. We always go in with a clear idea of what we're doing anyway. You know? So you uh, are classified as a rock band, <laughs> and let's just talk about the religious side of this. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the 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 Christian band thing. Yeah. Um, you guys weren't reborn Christians, eh? Well. In a way, yes, but this is where the, this whole thing has always been quite contentious to answer this question because you know, Tree 63 is always perceived as a Christian band, and so you assume the guys in the band are these Christians forever. Mm. But I only became a Christian in, in my mid-20s. Before that, I had a long history of rock and roll and the, the Roxy. Okay. <laughs> so I walked into this thing with absolutely zero idea that Christian music as a genre even existed. I had no idea. I just started singing about God and about the ideas of these theological things that I was feeling and spiritual things. And, and I, they were real to me as a, as a, young, as a guy. Not, mm. I wasn't joining a church and, 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 or trying to push an agenda with somebody. I was just a songwriter who suddenly felt this was important to me, right? The same way Bob Dylan did the three albums and he peed everyone off by singing about Jesus. Mm. And they were, like, they were like, how can the savior of, of folk protest rock, a Jewish guy, suddenly be singing about Jesus? He, you know, it was the same sense of, I didn't care. I just wanted to sing about something that meant something to me, right? Mm. And the course of the years that followed, we got labeled, oh, Tree is this Christian band. And we've had to deal with that ever since. But essentially, we were guys who really just took the spiritual side of things very seriously and uh, for personal reasons, not not to try and shove it down mm. radio stations' throats. You know? <laughs> but uh, the Christian radio stations, there are many in America. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, you did very well there, um, got a lot of airplay, but not only on the Christian stations, on the other, on the rock stations as well. You um, had that nice crossover. Especially here. I, yeah. That was the biggest, the weirdest thing for me is that um, the other station that you used to know. Yeah. They suddenly playing tree songs. And lyrically, some of the songs were quite blatantly uh, spiritual or Christian mm. or biblical even. And I'm going, how did the song get mainstream national airplay when it's so obviously not sex, drugs, and rock and roll? Mm. But obviously the music spoke for itself, and that was something I've always been very proud of with Tree. It doesn't matter. You don't have to be a Christian to like the band. You know? <laughs> I also think your songs were very inspirational. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? It's like the U2 songs. Exactly. You know, you don't have to be a Christian to enjoy their music, you know. Yeah. But uh, then you get all these uh, death metal Christian bands. I know it sounds weird. <laughs> no, 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 totally. And <laughs> there they are on stage. That's the way they spread the gospel and they, they feel good about it, you know. So, Even modern uh, bands like Flyleaf, I mean, they're, they're pretty heavy. Yeah. You know, we met them backstage and they were like the sweetest little Christian guys on stage. They're just raucous, you know. Mm. We're going to talk <laughs> about Nashville, the, the, the biggest shows you've done there, uh, the people that you, you met, and your, the big award that you won. It's like a, a Grammy Award, and a lot of people don't know about that. So that's all happening. And then John's going to play another song, a cover version of an Erasure song. <laughs> Close your eyes and ears now. Jack Aranda, FM in studio guest, uh, John Ellis. And somebody says, uh, hi, Barney, great show. Yay! Yes! Uh -huh. The one listener I have. <laughs> hi, Mom. I think uh, it's my fan. <laughs> I'd like to hear John do Hotel California from Johan. She's like... You know, uh, let, let, let's just see if you know okay. the chord. Um. On a dark desert, <coughs> cool wind in my head. Hang on, this song's about eight verses yes, long. Yes, no, we, we haven't got time for an eight-minute song. But if he pays 20 rand per, per <laughs> verse. <laughs> We're going to talk about that. What was, oh, yes, uh, it's called the uh, Kickstarter. Yes. Well, you're, we're going to remind me to yes, discuss yes, that yes, towards yes. the end of the show. Yeah. So there you were in America, 
and then uh, obviously got involved with uh, a lot of shows, mm. uh, the small venues. What was the best show you ever did? Uh, a night you'll never ever forget. A small, intimate show you guys did. Jeez, uh, it sounds a rock star thing to say, but there, at some point there were so many shows. It was such a blur of shows. There were a lot. We got into package tours where we had opened for other major artists, and so we'd run on and do half an hour of our own stuff, and then we'd run off again. And it was just gig after gig after gig. It was like it was being in the army for a band. You just learned, you learned what it was like to be on the road. But uh, the biggest thing we ever did was quite a lot later. We, for better or for worse, we got involved with Billy Graham's people. Yeah, now, as you can imagine, I mean, Billy Graham's like the Pope of America. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we always used to say I mean, he is this, he's, an, he's a cultural icon, whether you're a Christian or not. He's Billy Graham, right? And uh, we did this thing in New York City at uh, Meadowlands. And it turns out that there were 100,000 people in front of us. Mayor of New York, Bill and Hillary Clinton, and these three oaks from Dermot <laughs> in the back row going, who's that? <laughs> and we got on stage, oh, yeah. and uh, look, you look out in this audience, and you go, your brain just can't compute. There were 100,000 people. It's too big. You just have, you just have no. Can't, it's actually it's so much better to play those little sweaty 30 gig, 30 people in, in London somewhere in a little pub. Mm. But we did some huge things and we did some small things. I can't think of one that stuck out. There were some great times. But how, that was a blow. Uh, how long did you play for uh, with Bill and Hillary there? Bill and Hillary. I don't think she knew what was going to happen in a couple of years' time. Huh? We literally sat a, a, a <laughs> row behind her. And I remember looking yeah. at the cracks in her heels and thinking, wow, Hillary Clinton's got cracks in her heels. It's amazing. And now she's, now she's, she's about running. to be. Uh, yeah. <laughs> amazing. Was yeah. Monica Lewinsky? She wasn't in the she crowd. Was under, she was by, uh, under the seat. That's. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I like about you, your sense of humor. But uh, being in, the, in, in America, the, 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 the setup there, mm. when it comes, you know, as far as music shops are concerned and yeah. producers, wow. the setup there, um, people, the, the people, those are their careers for the rest of their lives. Most of, most of those people are musicians and you can survive. It's tough. Totally. But also, um, you go on a tour there, you can tour for a year and you won't cover America. The thing, exactly, is in America, there's a gig every night if you want it. You just have to say yes to it. Uh, There's so much space. 300 million people. There's, there's little clubs everywhere. You could, if you get in a car and do it yourself, you, you will never stop. And that's, what, that's what's so attractive about it. Um, also, you can buy a lot with $1. So if you earn $30 at a gig, you can get by. Mm. Um, but like you say, in, in Nashville, every second suburban house has a studio in it. And there's a guy who's really ridiculously good at programming or editing, or you know, it's it's that that town draws all the talent to it. Nashville's a transit town. No one's actually born in Nashville. They all leave, and all these mm. foreigners come in from Ohio and whatever. I never met one person in Nashville, and all those years we lived there was actually born in Nashville. <laughs> they were all from somewhere else, but it was great. An amazing community of people who always with ideas and gear, and it was just a very stimulating environment. Did they love your accents? Yeah, they thought they thought we were. What, are you Scottish? Are you <laughs> Russian or something? Uh, no, South African. Oh, Africa. Do you know Steve? <laughs> we're like, no. no. Um, and, you know, obviously, how long were you there for? Because uh, you were also saying to yourself, uh, we have to go back to South Africa. We have to tour again. And you used to come at you quite often. And yeah. they do major shows. Somebody saw you at the, uh, where was it? The Butroski. Oh, uh, in Bloom. In Bloom, yeah. yeah. Somebody said they saw you there live, and it was a brilliant show. So, I mean, you, uh, when you came back, uh, when the press got behind you in South Africa mm. and all the radio stations, interviews, people went crazy. They went, what was it like coming back as big rock stars 
that you've now sort of made it big. You won that Dove Award. Yeah. We'll explain what that is all about a yeah. little later on. But what was it like getting back and did you, I mean, to play for sold-out shows? You did anyway before you left South Africa, but coming back must have been quite amazing, huh? It was, and it, it actually was a little bit embarrassing because, like I said earlier, that, that Durban-ness never leaves. Mm. I'm, I'm from, I'm just a netter oak from Durban off. <laughs> and you have that small-town mentality of, Come on, Oaks, man. I'm just an oak from the beach. <laughs> and you get suddenly you're treated as, wow, you've really achieved this amazing stuff in your career in a foreign country. And for, so for the story of South Africa, it's a big deal when, especially in those days, when a, when a local band had done well. But you never lose the fact that you're from a small town. And mm. So you always feel like, it's not me. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I remember Billboard magazine. It was yeah. just, we used to go crazy. We used to get, uh, we subscribed to the Billboard yeah. magazine, the radio station. And yeah. there's a story on page 3363. Yeah. <laughs> I can't believe it. Yeah. It's amazing. I yeah. mean, then we were so proud of you then. Wow. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, you, the Dove Award. Mm. Can you explain to everybody what that is? It's got nothing to do with soap or anything or deodorant <laughs> or whatever they call it, or powder or whatever. But it, it, nobody knows. But it's the equivalent of a Grammy Award, right? For some reason, the Christian music community, I, I understand it, but they, it's a human nature thing to award each other. Barney and Friends. Barney Simon. Decorate.